In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. On this edition of Useful to God, Dr. James Spencer and me, Richard Beatty, take it from the top in the beginning. And uh, we're going to be doing a study on Genesis. Hey, James, how how long are we going to be on Genesis? <laughs> well, we could spend uh, literally a full year on Genesis, but I think we'll probably break it down into maybe five or six sort of shows um, where we deal with Genesis, the creation narrative in Genesis, the fall narrative, and then a few of the other more significant aspects of the book, uh, just to give everybody out there a good sense of what Genesis is all about, how it can relate to us today, and also, you know, sort of how to read the different narratives within Genesis. Now, with all the familiar verses of Genesis, we, we tend to take the whole creative process that God is speaking into, we take it for granted uh, in a lot of ways. Um, how, are, how do we look at it differently than we do? I mean, we've heard this story since our childhood. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, you know, unfortunately, um, much of today's discussion about the creation narrative really has been dominated by the question of evolution. And so there is a creationist movement out there that tries to reconcile the scientific data with the biblical text. And I think that has merit. You know, obviously, it's a, an important topic to address, and there are a lot of competent scholars who do work in that arena. But there has, in my mind, been something in a, of an overemphasis on that topic. And so one of the ways that we can think differently about Genesis is by really considering its theological value. In other words, what does it tell us about God? What does it tell us about who we are in relation to God? And what does it tell us about, you know, sort of our general vocation on the earth? How is it that we are to interact with creation? What is it that we are doing here? And what is really our purpose overall? Yeah, and and with that, I I agree with you. We do spend way too much on old Earth and young Earth and everything else, uh, everything else in between. Um, you know, if I if I were to sound design this, I I think uh, of of God and speaking speaking creation. I, I these are the things that matter. Uh, the things that we really should be understanding is that God speaks all of this into existence. He breathes life into Adam's nostrils. Uh, I don't know if that's analogy, if it's uh, literal, and and does it matter? Well, I, I think a couple of things. When we're reading the creation narrative, there's just a, there's a sense in which Israel is looking back from the context of covenant, and they're framing creation in those terms. Now, that is not to say that it is fictional. There's a lot of times where people uh, tend to look back and tell the story of history, an actual literal event that happened. So creation happens, and now you have someone, sort of usually Moses, uh, telling the story of creation. And in order to make creation significant, in order to um, really fit it into a broader understanding of the world that the Israelites now have, I think Moses crafts these stories in terms of covenant, in terms of temple, in terms of the sacrificial system and the law. 
I think a lot of the elements that we see in the Genesis creation narrative highlight the parallels between what happened at creation and what Israel is experiencing with God in covenant. And so part of what we're seeing when we see how Adam was made and uh, how Eve was made and this idea of, you know, God, be, you know, the breath of life being breathed into Adam, what we're really seeing is there's a deep dependence of humanity on God and that God becomes God and God's spirit becomes the life giving essence of all things. And, and so it's not an analogy, I wouldn't say. But what I would say is that it's a an object lesson. In other words, in the same way that human beings were created, in the same way that they were dependent on God for life and for their very breath, is the same way that human beings are still to be dependent on God and still to be dependent on him for their very breath. And so the creation narrative really sets God up as the sovereign the gracious, benevolent, uh, wonderful, wise sovereign on whom humanity is dependent. And, and that is very much mirrored in what we'll find as we, you know, look at Israel in covenant, we look at the law, we look at the way Israel's uh, life and society were ordered. We will find that sort of characterization of God in that setting as well. There, um, as we read this, um, and uh, as if when we when people read this, uh, you can see the cycle of creation, uh, the the night and the day, all of the elements that we are familiar with because we see this happen every day. Yeah, and I I think the important thing to note about the different elements here in the creation narrative, if you look at them, what God is really doing is He is making clear distinctions between different aspects of creation. So he is separating, let's say, uh, light from dark, day from night. He's separating land from water. And, and he's, you know, creating these realms and really giving them functions. And so each of the things that God creates has a particular thing that it is supposed to do. He's not creating them without a purpose. He's creating them to perform a very particular task and to be a domain for the different, you know, animate creations that he's going to create, like fish, birds, humans, you know, um, you know, beasts of the field, those kind of things. Like each of those places now has a realm that they can occupy. And that realm has a particular um it it affords the animals within it, the creatures within it, with certain opportunities. And, and so what we see really in the creation cycle, the way God is creating these things is it ends in Sabbath. It ends in God resting from all of his work and proclaiming that his creation is very good. And that proclamation is, is I think, saying, it is exactly how I had intended it to be. It is exactly designed for the flourishing of every creature uh, that I have made. And so what we have really in these different cycles is God designing a world that is perfectly designed and perfectly implemented 
for human flourishing, for the flourishing of the different creatures, and every aspect of it has this role to play in that. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, I we we've been talking about uh, about time and seasons and things along that line. Uh, God is designing all of these things, and He is designing um, really how our lives should, uh, or or some of the practices that we should be doing, including rest uh, at the uh, at the very end, is that. Um, you know, there's rewards to our work. There are times where we should work. And then there are seasons that we should be doing certain things. This rhythm of life uh, is is set up, uh, it seems, uh, all through uh, this creation story. Right. And I think that as it's adapted, so we see this particularly in, let's say, Exodus 20 and the Sabbath command in Exodus, where, um, you know, Moses tells the people, Here's the law. Uh, you are to keep the Sabbath day. You're to have this seventh day that is kept holy because God created the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And as we move then into Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5, where Moses is sort of reiterating the commands to the people, Moses puts an interpretive twist on Sabbath and he says that the Sabbath and all this rest that you're doing is intended to, you know, sort of push you to remember the, uh, Exodus from Egypt, that God rescued you from the uh, the Pharaoh. And so the general idea that I see in, in this Sabbath day at the end of creation and then the ongoing sort of references to Sabbath and the way it works itself out is that Sabbath really does demonstrate that human beings do not run on their own effort. Our efforts are not inconsequential. They're important. Like you said, you know, it's often important that we work. But the reality is that if we are hoping that our work will somehow uh, bring us peace and prosperity, we've missed the point. And so this Sabbath day, um, I think, really becomes a symbol of our, again, our dependence on the Lord and our recognition that obeying God is the right strategy in every situation. And, and so we can take this rest, not because we're tired or not because we need to be refreshed, um, but because God has commanded it and we trust in God's provision. So there's a this interesting relationship between trusting in God's provision and ceasing work on the Sabbath on the Sabbath day. When we stop working, we basically say, you know, we're trusting God to multiply our efforts in the six days. We are trusting God to provide for us, even though we have we're not currently being productive. We are trusting God. And so in contrast to what you had in Egypt, where uh, the people were hard pressed in labor. Right. And, and Pharaoh kept pushing them to make more bricks, but gave them less straw kind of feel. Uh, now what God brings Israel out and says, hey, take this Sabbath rest. I created the earth in six days and I rested on the seventh. Take this Sabbath day. Make sure no one works. Right. No, no servants are working. No animals are working. Nothing is working because I'm not Pharaoh. I'm God and I can provide even when you're not working. And so we have all of this sort of uh, encapsulated in the creation narrative. 
Um, and, and it's sort of the creation narrative is gesturing toward all of these different things that are going to come out and, and really govern and, uh, and create a cadence uh, in Israel's later life. You you mentioned multiplication. Now, multiplying uh, is is mentioned several times uh, in uh, the first chapter of Gen- Genesis. Um, talk a little bit about that, and uh, you know, I I know that has something to do with uh, uh, with with humankind. It also has something to do with uh, animal kind as well. Uh, but uh, there's a reason. Uh, why uh, God speaks uh, multiplication to us uh, in that way, even when we're not working, then then God is also multiplying our blessings. Yeah, I think um, you know when we're when humans are told, you know, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. I I think that language is really about um, spreading the glory of God throughout the entire creation. And so humankind was created in God's image. We were created to reflect God wherever it is that we happen to be. And so as we spread out, as we um, multiply and fill the earth, what we're really doing is we are creating new, we could say colonies almost, uh, in which God is now glorified. We are continually pressing out from in in the case of creation, the Garden of Eden, we see that in you know Genesis chapter two, um, where um, Adam and Eve are placed in the garden, and as they multiply and move out from there, the intention was that God's glory would spread with humanity, that as God's image was you know uh, filling the earth, that God's glory would also fill the earth, because humankinds are going to be reflecting God in all the earth. And so multiplication had a a very um, unique uh, function, and it wasn't simply, you know, the preservation of the species, as as oftentimes we think of it. Um, It wasn't even so much, you know, the the preservation of a particular line, which is often how it's understood, you know, as we move into Genesis and you have people who have uh, wives who are barren and can't have children and those kind of things. Um, this multiplication has something very, um, consistent or very specific to do with spreading God's glory throughout creation. And so as we think about it, even in our new Testament context, you know, part of what we're supposed to do is make disciples. We're supposed to go out and make disciples of all the nations. Well, it's a very similar thing that we are supposed to be doing. We are to be pointing to and glorifying Christ increasingly around the entire world and multiplying people who are also pointing to and glorifying Christ around the world. And so we we do see these things sort of pattern across not just the Old Testament or not just Genesis, but across the whole New Testament as well. You know, I, I love that because um, a lot of times I try to think um, how can uh, you know as we we talk about how to be useful to god and then then i think you know what what if every day we we said how do i reflect god's glory and god's image to everyone uh that i come in contact how do i do that do i do it through my work do i do it through uh my community do i you know do i how do i how do i wind up 
doing that and being useful to God in that way. And how how much more could you be useful than to reflect his, his glory and his image to everyone? Well, I think it's a really important point because as we think about creation and the importance of the creation story, so imagine your Bible without the creation story for a moment, right? And you really just start with Abraham being called uh, to follow God in Genesis 12. What happens is that now God has a very particular focus with Israel. And that particular focus has to start with a particular person. But it's not necessarily that, you know, there weren't other people about, right? It, it's just a very particular story. And he's chosen Israel out of all the other nations in order to um, glorify him in his creation. But if you push that back then, and we do have the creation story, what the creation story does is it creates an overarching, inescapable context. We live in God's creation. We are God's creatures. We are created in his image. And that means that there is no balance. There is no prioritization to what we do. We are this. And so part of what I would say being useful to God is, and the one way to think about it, it's almost like, you know, sometimes I think we try to be, you know, go swimming without getting wet. Right. But the reality is that when we are Christian, when we become a Christian, when we uh, commit ourselves to Christ, we are embedded and aware that God is the creator of all things. That is our, that is the context into which we are immersed. It is our, our biggest unit that we can think of. And, And so, Our role in life then becomes, now that we're aware of it, now that we're empowered to live in this manner, our role really is to point to and glorify God in all things. And so the creation story frames this not in a particular sense, but in a universal sense. It's an inescapable context. We're all part of creation. And so it it sort of immerses us within this uh, this we could call it a bubble, right? This inescapable bubble. That's just where we are. This is who we are. And this is what we're doing. No matter what else it is that we're doing, we can never escape the fact that we are made in the image of God and we are to point to and glorify God no matter what we're doing. With a few minutes uh, we have left, uh, what are some of the other uh, things that we need to be talking about in looking at uh, this first chapter of Genesis. Well, I usually, you know, really think this through in terms of who God is. And what I see in the in the Genesis narrative, I see God as sovereign. He is a God who speaks all things into existence and there is no resistance to his word. In a lot of the ancient Near Eastern creation narratives, you do have, you know, sort of epic battles fought between multiple gods. And uh, the losers' um, corpses are used to create um, what what we see around us. You know, the biblical creation account is far from that. There's no particular resistance to God saying how the world is going to be ordered. He just does it. And it does speak to his sovereignty. He has no competition. So when he speaks, everything listens. It also speaks then to the importance of obedience. When we align with God's sovereignty and when we recognize it, 
And when we trust that what he's telling us to do is the best and highest thing we could ever possibly do, then obedience begins to make perfect sense. And so just as the creation is ordered and results in this sort of harmonious context where Sabbath is the natural result, when we obey, we will find that similar sort of peace. Now, post-fall, that looks a little different, uh, but ultimately, you know, obedience is going to be our best choice no matter what. So that's one aspect. I think the other aspects of God that I see in this, his wisdom, you know, he's got to order all of these things together. He is the ultimate designer and he creates all of these different aspects of creation to flow together and work really well. And then finally, it's his benevolence. He does it all for us, not against us. He's not trying to torture us. He's trying to bless us. And his creation demonstrates that what he wants for us is to be the best possible versions to flourish in the sense that we are reflecting him throughout his entire creation. That's what he put us into. So God is sovereign. God is wise and God is benevolent. And I think in today's world um, where things are tumultuous and chaotic because of the fall, um, because of our sin. It's really important to root ourselves back in this creation narrative. And the first picture we get of God is that he is sovereign, that he is wise, and that he is for us. That he is benevolent and good. Very good. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on at Useful to God Ministries and this challenge that you have as far as Overcome your fears, develop godly characteristics, and engage in an intentional media fast to spend focused time with God in order to be transformed and better serve Him. And I know that's, um, that's, that's about the challenge, but also now you also have this library of courses uh, that have been developed at uh, Useful to God Ministries. Let's talk about that a bit. Yeah, so we have four courses up currently. We've got about uh, 15 or so that we're going to be launching over the next few months. And uh, right now what we have, we have a walk through the Gospels. We have uh, a, a course on the story of the Scripture, really telling the story of the Scripture. And it focuses on um, not only the story, but how to proclaim it. And so it has some tips and tricks on evangelism in there. Um, we did a course on Christian resistance, and then we did one on discipleship. And so these first four, I teach each one of these um, as we add courses. Um, I think I have one more that will be coming out, and the rest are then taught by other folks. And so what we're trying to do is offer people the opportunity to grow spiritually and really challenge themselves to grow spiritually. Uh, in a fairly easy and inexpensive venue uh, and uh, and really give them just that opportunity to uh, the way I think of it, you know, they're going to uh, trust God by testing God. So very uh, Malachi 310 uh, sort of vibe to it. Um, we want to make sure that people are stepping out on obedience so that they're actually testing God through their obedience. And in testing God, we believe that uh, God will just show up. When we test God through obedience, God will show up and uh, his people will will know him more deeply uh, than if we just try to go in on our own. And uh, people can get uh, this at UsefulToGod.com and then also uh, UsefulToGodRadio.com uh, from what I understand, right? 
That's correct. Yep. Folks can go, uh, I would say go right to usefulthegod.com. Um, that's usefulthegod.com, and that's where the courses are. But then people can see everything else that we're doing, including the radio show, um, the Thinking Christian podcast, and uh, and then take a look at the various books and things that we have available as well. And let's talk a little bit about the Thinking Christian uh, podcast. It's a it's a daily, and there's there's stuff every day, uh, and people can get uh, in uh, they can get involved <laughs> and and, uh, and listen to that too. That's right. Yeah, it's a little more of a topical show um, than we do uh, on Useful to God Radio. Useful to God Radio, we're really focusing in on, you know, biblical teaching. But yeah, Thinking Christian, it has interviews with guests. And uh, the goal is really to um, get people thinking about the way that God is working in the world, as well as addressing topics that are of importance to the church and uh, and the way that the church thinks about itself, about the world, and about God. And they can get uh, the podcast on lifeaudio.com. That's right. Yeah, we're hosted with Salem's Life Audio, um, so they can go to lifeaudio.com. It's also available on Apple and Spotify and I'm sure a host of other uh, (laughs) podcasting platforms. And you just got back uh, from a trip. Uh, how How did that go? It was fantastic. Uh, I had the opportunity to teach folks in Czech Republic. Uh, I was teaching a course for Wheaton College. I do uh, biblical and theological foundations for leadership. And so I had the opportunity to go over to Czech Republic and teach in person. And that was just, that's always fantastic. I love teaching in class and uh, it was a lot of fun. And then my wife and I were able to uh, jump over to Germany and we did sort of a a self-guided reformation tour, um, as well as looking at some of the different World War II sites. We saw the Berlin Wall. Um, We did Wittenberg, and uh, that's where Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the, uh, the church door. And, um, and then we also made it down to Munich and, and saw some things there, but, uh, yeah, really great trip. Enjoyed the vacation and it was a, a relaxing and much needed break. And I'm glad you're back uh, because uh, it was uh, it was a little crazy while you were gone. Uh, we were we were doing some of the work we uh, we we got started for a month, and then we were off to the races again. So uh, glad you're back, and I'm glad that we're uh, we're still getting some new stuff out there. That's right. Yeah, and uh, I would just let people know, you know, in this, uh, as we keep doing Useful to God Radio, this is intended to be a Bible teaching program. And so we're going to start with some of my favorites in Genesis, um, but we'll definitely be moving back and forth between the Old and New Testaments and just really trying to uh, help people understand God's Word and how it might apply to their life today. Dr. James Spencer, thank you so much uh, for being on your show. <laughs> and uh, we're uh, we're really happy to uh, to to go another season with KLTT. We really value the audience. If you need anything, please contact us at usefultogod.com. <laughs>